Hey, good morning, everybody. We are here with the vice presidents from uh, TGS, and we've got Wayne and Carl. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Thanks, Stu. Very good. Thank you. We were talking about, Stu, how jealous we are of the skis on, uh, on Wayne's background there. Oh, yeah. Um, and then the beautiful city behind you there. So we, <laughs> we've been really sitting here talking about uh, TGS and all of the capabilities of the worldwide uh, company and data. And uh, Wayne, would you mind just kind of kicking us off a little bit about TGS and tell us a little bit about what you got? Okay. TGS is the largest data science provider in the world. We've got data ranging from uh, magnetics all the way up to seismic data, including the significant well log database in North America. Uh, we are about uh, 500 people at this point. Uh, we traded on the Oslo Boers Exchange, and uh, we're actively looking for new opportunities in North America and worldwide to acquire seismic data and additional subsurface data. Fantastic. So, uh, as we go through this, uh, seismic data and lowering, uh, getting the cost, there's regulations, there's getting all the data, and as we were talking before this interview, uh, Carl, we were kind of talking about uh, well data and uh, the products that you guys do around there. Could you give me a little bit of a heads up on your layering of the subservice and some of the things that you guys take a look at? Certainly. So like, Jay, uh, like Wayne pointed out, TGS is the largest geoscience data provider in the world. So we cover geophysics, which is primarily seismic data and um, imaging technology and related um, inversion attribute work, that kind of stuff. Um, we also cover geology, actual well logs, measurements of reservoir properties in the well as wells are being drilled and logged, and then engineering data. So that includes what steel is in the hole, that includes information about the production streams and pressures and stuff like that. So you have the most complete assessment of the subsurface, which helps you understand the relationship between the reservoir and its properties and the ability of a wellboard to produce. Yeah, and, and Carl, I think it's really interesting. One of the big things about data, I think that anybody who's logged on to any sort of, I mean, you know, if you're based in the lower 48 here, any oil and gas commission, specifically Colorado, you know that the data is sort of spotty. And you guys, you know, can you give kind of an overview of the difference between the data availability that you guys work with? Because I know you mentioned something about the difference between onshore and offshore. I thought that was kind of a huge, I thought it was a really cool difference. Sure. So onshore, especially in North America, with unconventional development over the last 10 to 15 years, you have a lot of data available. There are a lot of wells being drilled every year. There's a lot of data being acquired. The problem is that the data is fairly inconsistent between well bores. So there's different amounts of data and different data types available for each well bore. So the good thing is you have a lot of wells. The bad thing is the data is kind of inconsistent. Now, comparing that to offshore, you obviously have a much lower amount of well bores, a much lower number of well bores. But the data that's acquired for individual well bores is a lot better and it's a lot more standardized. So you're you're looking at different problems um, for onshore versus offshore that you kind of need to tackle in different ways if you want to make sense of the data that's available, especially in a uh, data science type of way. Yeah, I think it's super interesting. And, and, and yeah, I know you see in your guys' website, you guys are the official reseller of actual offshore data from the federal government as well. So 
Uh, I, that's got, you know, the data's got to be extra good then. And it, it is extra good, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> and we were chatting uh, earlier as well as about the worldwide governments that you work with. Uh, some of the governments have tools or don't have tools. Could you tell us a little bit how you guys work with the international uh, governments in different areas? Of course. So in general, I think our approach is to provide the most complete picture of the subsurface available. So we will try and source all the available subsurface data for a specific area of interest. So internationally, with hydrocarbons being owned by national governments, um, that often means that the data that's produced in association with hydrocarbon exploration is also owned by the government. So they manage that data, they make the data available to operators, but um, they struggle with the same problems that operators will struggle with, data management, how do you integrate that data? So that's something where we can help out just from a pure data management perspective, like managing a national data repository, but also working up the data from different vintages to a consistent data set that then can be shared in a bid round or that operators can have access to. And also that national governments can have access to to better understand the resource potential in specific areas. Oh, uh, cool. Uh, Wayne, you're also uh, in charge of North America. So as part of North America, um, I think you had a great uh, thing on ground truthing. Wayne, could you tell me a little bit about what you call ground truthing? Sure. It's, uh, seismic data is in itself, uh, it's, it's, it's as accurate as it can be, but the more data points you can get when you're interpreting data or seismic data is that much more important. So, so what I like to, what I like to like call ground truthing is when you drill a well, that's actually real world. And it's a, it's a true data point where you've actually drilled through a certain sedimentary layer and you know, you've hit it and you know what depth it's at and all those neat things with a seismic section. There's a little bit of guesswork going on. So what the well locks do when you combine them with the, in the seismic data processing is that they will ground truth that seismic. That's kind of what I mean by ground truth. Um, you'd also mentioned, Wayne, that it had, uh, you're working up in Prudhoe Bay uh, up in Alaska, and you've got them all over the place. Um, uh, Alaska is a pretty interesting kind of place up there. It's a different kind of uh, geological structure as well. Yeah, it's, uh, it's actually, uh, it's been producing since 1968, I believe. And uh, at one point they were producing, I think one and a half million barrels a day off of the North Slope. And unfortunately up there, it's, uh, it's dropped down. I think they're around 400,000. So I think the pipeline's about 25% utilized right now. But there's a new discovery up there recently called Pika made by a joint venture between two companies up there. And it's kind of revitalized that marketplace. So we uh, made an investment up there last year in some existing data. And we also acquired a new survey up there uh, right on the North Slope, uh, probably, I want to say, 30 miles from Prudhoe Bay. So the beauty of that marketplace is it's got existing infrastructure. It's got a resource-friendly government and regulatory regime. So it's just a good place to be. So we really like, uh, we really like the state of Alaska. And it is an interesting place to work too. It's fairly challenging. Um, there's a whole different breed of uh, Alaskans up there. Um, we just had an interview with, a, dropped in an interview with Alaska Corporation yesterday. Yeah. Um, 
But uh, as you mentioned, uh, Welltruth, uh, and you take a look at the data that you, the data sets that like out of Prudhoe Bay area, uh, Carl, you were talking about AI and how AI, when you take all your data sets, can you tell us a little bit about um, how the AI function fills in the holes? Sure. So going back to the challenges in onshore data, where you have a lot of data points, you have a lot of wells that are being drilled and for which data is being acquired, but then the data that's being acquired for individual wells isn't the same. So there's different measurements that are being taken, different properties that are being recorded. So you end up with a data set where you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of data points and wells, but it's not the same data for every well. So Let's say, let's take the Permian as an example. We have 320,000 wells in the Permian for which we have digital log data. Now, some of these wells will have one curve, a gamma ray. Some of them will have a full quad combo and a sonic attached to it. So let's say we wanted to train an algorithm on picking the wolf camp or picking a specific formation across the entire Permian Basin. The problem is if your model depends on certain attributes, they may not be available for every single well. So where the AI comes in is basically predicting the logs that weren't acquired. So logs that weren't run, but also intervals for specific runs where the tool might've gone out for a couple of seconds or so. So we have the good fortune of having a lot of data and we have the good fortune of having a lot of standardized data which puts us probably in a better position to develop these algorithms than other geoscience data providers, I'd say. And, and, and that's how more, we use it. So. And so it sounds like the more acquisitions that, you know, we were, you know, we were talking with Wayne uh, earlier, kind of in the pre-show about all the different acquisitions that you guys have made around. It sounds like the more data you acquire, the better that these AI's models get because it allows to kind of fill in those gaps more, correct? Correct. So you almost look at the data as, feedstock for models and information you want to get out of the data because the only reason we're acquiring this data where the only reason operators are using this data is because they want to understand how much they're going to produce from a specific asset or how to optimally drill wells and what in what sequence and how to complete them so the data is kind of a means to an end um, so our algorithms and the way we integrate data across disciplines in general is really focused on providing information and solutions out of it rather than focusing just on the data. The, the, the good thing is that we do have a lot of data, so it's a lot easier for us to produce something meaningful. You know, yes, uh, we, could put it, we could put in a shameless plug for, uh, for our lead computer scientist too, who's doing a talk at Urtec on exactly that, uh, that uh, subject. So he's built, we've been using those algorithms and Carl's data uh, predicting they're building cross sections that actually are fairly accurate versions of what you could almost call them 2D seismic data they built from these well logs using the uh, predictive algorithms that uh, the AI teams built in in house here. So it's pretty cool. Uh, it's a cool talk, and Arvin's giving that talk at Urtech. Uh, was it next next week? I think Carl. Yeah. You know, it's kind of nice having a, a very re well-respected resource for you guys. So uh, one of the things when you got your data and now what do you do with it? And uh, how, do you, how do you take your data and get it to geotechnical people? How do you go there? 
That's a really good question. Um, so if you have a lot of data and disparate data types, data management becomes a necessity. So we've invested heavily in a data management solution in building a data lake that houses all these disparate data types, but also extracting metadata from the individual data sets to where you can query the data lake across everything that's in it for specific attributes. So that then helps a geoscientist or even helps our internal resources, our internal interpretation team to understand what data is available for a specific area that meets specific criteria. I can access this data from one point and then I can interpret it. So we're moving from putting data in different applications and kind of the data living in different applications like a kingdom project or a Petra project or an Aries project to bringing the applications to the data. So the data lives in one place and then I bring the applications or users to that. And I assume that that would make the, cause you I mean, you guys have a whole roster of different actual products that you are in charge of the joint. I assume that makes the integration between the products better, you know, maybe, you know, I assume, you know, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. The, yeah, that's correct. And it also gives the customer the opportunity to use the platform that they're used to. Carl mentioned Petra and Kingdom. Those are two different software packages that uh, there's probably four others that our customer base likes to use. So if the data is living in the cloud and it's accessible in one place, the idea at the end of the day is for them to access the data with the tools that they're used to using. Oh, that, that's really cool. Uh, we, we had talked a little bit about, uh, Carl and Wayne, about some of the problems that we've had as far as uh, the current analytics and the problems and the lack of, um, I don't know, I, I guess you'd say consistency or underwhelming, I think is a good term to, to use <laughs> on those things. So what are your thoughts on that? So I think um, in general, the, the problem goes back to standardized and consistent data sets. So when, when people think of data science, they think of uh, sensor data where you have trillions and trillions of data points that are acquired in a very consistent manner. And if you have, let's say a self-driving car, you can easily build a model with standardized data that's being acquired to predict certain things. For subsurface data, obviously that's not the case because like I pointed out there, different wells have different data associated with it. So uh, even, even the same data acquired in the same well at two different vintages with two different tools will produce different results. So about 80% of the effort of building a predictive model goes into data cleanup and data standardization. So again, because we have a lot of data, we see the entire spectrum of what data looks like for a specific attribute and can then standardize across the board. And there's a lot of um, ancillary data with the log data that tells you about the type of tool, the fluid that's in the, hole, that's in the hole, et cetera. So we have a lot of supporting documents, but that's really, I think the reason primarily why analytics um, in oil and gas is a little bit more challenging. And so far, when you talk to operators, there's some results, but they're not as good as I think we expected initially. And it's really data quality and data consistency. With some consistency in utilizing the data also, right, Carl, because uh, we have some customers that utilize more data than others. 
And of course, being a geoscience data provider, we'd like them to use all the data. And we've got, there's, we've got some case histories too, where people, actually just customers, that utilized not only the well logs, they utilize the seismic data, they utilize the magnetics, they utilize everything that's available, and they've got proven success where the others were aware of, don't use the data points, all the data points, and were, weren't as successful. So it's frustrating for us that uh, positive cases uh, don't get out there and people don't use more data to, to do more analytics and be more successful. That's, of course, being a data science provider. We're somewhat biased in that opinion, but uh, still, we'd like to see more people use more data. Well, you should be because you've got good sort, good data. Um, with COVID going on, we have a demand destruction. We have uh, wells being shut in. How is the data being used for folks uh, in that whole scenario going on? It's an interesting question. I think there's a few aspects to this. Um, if you look at the last downturn for different reasons, but if you look at kind of the 2015 um, area, I think most of the efficiency gains back then were from reducing vendor pricing, like negotiating better contracts, driving down costs, like actual costs related to drilling, to fracking. Um, I think we've squeezed as much as we can out of that. So this time around, efficiency and performance improvement uh, and profitability improvement will really come from better subsurface knowledge. So it'll come from optimizing the reservoir or optimizing a specific well bore for a specific reservoir condition rather than uh, cost control on you know, completion services. So that's obviously something that we support greatly and we believe in. Um, and like Wayne said, there's, there's uh, a lot of case studies where people that manage to integrate data really well and to use all the available data actually do perform better. If you look across the board in, in something like the Permian Basin, you have a good asset base, you have a good resource base, there's definitely uh, players that have worse acreage but do better than their peers. And it's often related to making better use of all the available data. So I think that's something in you know this downturn uh, that that uh, will, will help us down the road. The other aspect is just being able to access data and um, uh, share data uh, remotely. Where we our data lake is in the cloud. So if you want to access it from your phone or your laptop or from the office environment, um, performance largely depends on the on your internet connection and not where you're located. So that's, that's another thing I think that will actually enhance how people are interacting with data. You want to be able to share that with somebody across the world who might be using a different software package and the data lake really enables that. Um, COVID's kind of changed uh, how people are working from home. So I think that's an excellent point. TGS is uh, COVID changing, I think is something that your marketing folks might, might want. Um, Wayne, uh, Wayne uh, and then uh, after, we're going to toss it over to you for last thoughts, and then we'll go over to Carl, and then we'll have Michael close us out. So, Wayne, give us an uh, open-ended question. What are your thoughts? Open-ended question? What are my thoughts? <laughs> That's dangerous. Uh, generally, uh, I think going forward, we, with the continued, like you said, you get back to COVID and the demand issue, right? Uh, some of the, you're seeing a lot of bankruptcies 
in the industry right now and that's they're leveraged and uh, they probably tried some things they shouldn't and they're trying to figure that stuff out. What, what I see is uh, we're going to have a, a, what's a good way to put it, a break, I guess, in capital investment in the oil and gas industry. So there's gonna be, they're gonna be driving to uh, be more efficient with the existing assets they have. So I think that bodes well for us, in my opinion. I think that uh, being the largest data provider in the world, uh, we think that uh, there's gonna be a lot more analytics going forward, and that's gonna be good for us at the end of the day. So we hope our customer base thinks the same way. It's kind of where we're at. All right, final thought from me. Um, I'll give you, uh, since, since Wayne kind of touched on the financial conditions, um, or boundary conditions of the market, I'll touch on something else. What, what I've seen change over the last, let's say five to 10 years is what people expect that data should be able to do for them. So I think there's much less patience for things that don't work seamlessly, that aren't intuitive. And it's probably driven by technology that everybody uses in their everyday lives. So if you, uh, use any app on your iPhone or iPad or whatever it is, everything kind of works seamlessly. And it's, you can quickly tell if something is not a good experience. And that really translates to how people want to use geotechnical data as well. So if things are clunky, if data loading takes a long time, if data doesn't connect between software applications, there's much less patience for that. And I think that's something that we as a company, that everybody in this data and data management and geoscience space can capitalize on. So our goal is to enhance the customer experience in terms of how data is being used, because with fewer resources on the customer side, just fewer bodies being able to prepare this stuff, um, we need to make sure that they can use everything seamlessly across the entire um, infrastructure and ecosystem that they have set up and also globally between you know, different offices. So that's, that's one thing that I think is gonna accelerate um, is just how people want to use data and the fact that um, they're gonna have much less patience for things that don't work as well as they should. Yeah, fear and financial stress can sometimes be the biggest and best motivators for these companies. So no, I think you, you, guys, you, guys, put it on, you guys put it best. I think you guys are in, a, in an insane position to capitalize on some of this to go forward. I mean, I, I, think I speak for Stu, man. We learned so much on this. I, I think this is, you know, talking about, I mean, I mean if, if you need data, specifically subsurface data, I mean, I think the answer is clear. Um, you guys are the winners. Stu, I mean, I, I've had so much fun on this. We really appreciate you guys um, stopping by and, and getting educated us a little bit. Hey, thank you, Michael. Thanks, Wayne. Thanks, Carl. Uh, you're very welcome, gentlemen.